0: Well, good morning, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. And uh, uh, we kicked off the series last week called Hello, My Name Is. And so if you missed last week or if you're a guest with us today, you can always go to renaissancechurch.org, click on messages, and there you can uh, watch, listen to, download, share, subscribe to all of our messages, just a resource, a tool for you. And uh, also, from a smartphone or tablet, if you have one of those with you today, you can go to renaissancechurch.org forward slash notes, and there you can follow along with the core ideas, the core verses, and we leave that up all week long. So if you get to Wednesday and you're like, what was that verse or what was that idea, you might find it there as well. Again, just resources for all of you. Well, a quick recap, because what we established last week is going to be critical for what we're going to be discussing uh, today. And so uh, a couple things we established. First of all, and I think the, this first one is the most critical. Like if, if you uh, hold on to nothing today other than this, this first thing, uh, this is key. There's two groups of people in this room. Two, we all fit into one of two groups. The first group, and I want you to be loud and proud if you fit into this group. The first group absolutely loves name tags. Is that you come on embrace it yeah embrace it you walked in and you're like yes they're doing name tags i've been waiting for them to do name tags i love name tags and for some of you you might have already written your name on the name tag the other group of you despise name tags is that you come on be loud and proud you just thought yeah that's me you walked in today going um, they can 't make me put on that name tag i 'm not going to write my name on that tip. Who came up with this stupid idea to put in name tags? This is a church we don 't wear name tags at Renaissance right That was you and you 've like started to shred your name tag in protest so if you 've written your name on your name tag or you 've shredded your name tag we 're going to use these later so you need to find one around you um, because we 'll need a blank one for uh, what we 're going to do a little later but up uh, so that's the first thing we established last week, and that's okay. Embrace. If you love in, uh, name tags, embrace that. If you don't, embrace that. That's, that's, that's quite all right. Uh, uh, the, the second thing we established is all of us, we wear name tags every day. We all have a name tag with our name written on it, but we have more name tags than just that one with our name on it. We have name tags with our roles on it. And every day we're taking these name tags with our roles on and off and on and off. And there's different combinations And that's what makes relationships so interesting. Some combinations give us life. I shared last week that uh, uh, my relationship with my uh, my dad, I wear a son name tag and I wear a friend name tag because over the years, I went from just being his son to him being my best friend. It's a combination that just gives me life. There's simple combinations. Like I wear a husband and a triathlete name tag. And uh, it's just a simple conversation I have with my wife when training season, season comes. We start looking at possible races because what I know is uh, training for triathlons it takes time, and I want to balance family and uh, 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 my triathlon t- training. And so we just sit down. It's a really simple conversation because she knows I value uh, uh, the family and my time with the family, and so we just have that combination or that that conversation. Uh, there's some combinations that are uh, very complicated. For me, it's the name tag of CEO and the name tag of pastor. You know, I'm the pastor, the lead pastor of Renaissance Church. But also, there's business components to a church. So I'm also the CEO. And that's really complicated. Because I, I like to err or lean towards that role of pastor more than CEO. But yet, there's times I need to wear the CEO name tag. And sometimes I have them both on. And sometimes I'm not sure which one I should Uh, where, because I'm not sure what I want to wear, It it gets complicated. And then there's critical combinations. The critical combination for me is husband, father, and pastor. And you can maybe even, like, in parentheses under pastor, write spiritual leader. Because God has called me to be the spiritual leader of my family first, Renaissance second. It's really easy for those roles to get reversed. So it's critical that I keep husband, father, pastor, spiritual leader as number one. And for all of us, attached to every one of these name tags that have roles written on them, for all of us, there's an ideal and a real associated with every one of those name tags. For me as dad, there's the reality of Chris Trothway as dad. And there's the ideal that I have attached to Chris Trothway dad. And many times I look at that, that ideal and I'm like, I, I wish I was a better dad. And there's times where I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. And there's times where I just lose my mind with my kids. Am I the only one in this room that does that? Right? Like you just lose it and you realize, oh, there is the real side. <laughs> not the ideal, there's the reality to that role. But not only have I attached an ideal to me as dad... My kids have attached an ideal to me as dad. And my wife has attached an ideal to me as dad. And my dad has attached an ideal to me as dad. And many of you have attached an ideal to me as dad and pastor. And between the ideal and the real creates a lot of tension, doesn't it? Because not only do we have a ton of ideals attached to every one of these name tags that we wear, we all attach ideals to every person we interact with, to every name tag that they wear. And we wonder why there's so much friction in relationships, and we wonder why relationships are so complicated. And at times, relationships give us so much life, and other times, relationships suck all the life out of us. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 12 and Paul gives us this list of ideals to kind of to aspire to to target on and they're they're really counterintuitive to usually how we spend most of our time relating with people. And these were the list of ideas found in Romans chapter 12. To love, that's just a great, great one to do. Let's love people. Cling to good. And that word cling means to tie yourself to good because we all have this kind of disposition to lean towards evil. And I'm going to talk about evil more later. And so Paul says, no, tie yourself to good because you're going to want to drift back towards evil. So to not allow you to do that, just tie yourself to good. That, that's just a good thing to do. Uh, elevate others, which is countercultural. We live in a culture that's about pushing people down, stepping over people, climbing that 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 corporate ladder to get to that position. If someone tries to come up beside you, you try to knock them off because people are trying to knock you off. And Paul says, No, no, no. What if we start lifting people above ourselves? He talked about serving God, and he tied serving God to spiritual intensity. If you want your your spiritual life to intensify, or he used the word zeal or fervor, it's not by sitting and consuming and coming to church. It's a good thing. But it's not the end-all, be-all. He says that to have that spiritual intensity, you must get up, put faith into action, and you must serve God. Join God with what God is doing, and that's where it comes from talks about joy and pain, which is difficult. Because pain is painful. But he says when you're walking and trusting in a sovereign God, that you still can have pain in that moment of life or that season of life. But if you're trusting in a sovereign God, God's joy can come down beside the pain you're feeling, and you can have joy. Talked about giving generously, and that's just not monetarily. I mean, that's a component of it. But he said, identify a need, see a need, whatever that need is, and how can you meet that need? It might be money. It might be time. It might be how you're wired, your gift set, your competencies. He said, but when you identify that need, you discover how to fill that need of that person, and you meet it to give generously. Harmonize. When you think about this word harmony when it comes to music, you have the melody and harmony helps give it depth and harmony helps gives it movement. Harmony helps gives it intrigue. And one of his examples was to mourn with those who mourn. And one way to harmonize, if someone's mourning, let's say they're crying, you can come beside them and cry with them. But maybe that's not the best thing they need. Maybe you sit beside them and you get them to laugh, remembering the joyous moments. Maybe you sit beside them in total silence and let them just rant. Because sometimes saying nothing is better than saying something. How are you harmonizing with people's lives? And then he said, don't retaliate. Don't give back to someone what you think they deserve. And he tied all of these ideals together with one simple thought. Found in verse 18, he said this. If it is all possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. See, we are so good when it comes to friction in relationships to point out everyone else's faults, aren't we? Are masters at it. And we spend so little time looking at ourselves. And Paul said, no, no, no. When it comes to you, what's within your control? What can you do? And you look at that list of of eight ideals, and there's all things we can do. We can cling to what's good. We can love. We can serve God. We can elevate others. We can harmonize. We can give generously, right? There are all things we can do. He says, what are you going to do to create peace in your relationships? But he started out in verse 18, and he gives us this escape hatch. Maybe you, you, you kind of keyed in on it. He said, if it is all possible, right? You're like, yeah, there's escape hatch. Because we all know people. We have all had relationships or have relationships with people that were like, yeah, it's just not possible to have peace with that person, right? Especially when... Someone has hurt us. Well, if you know what they said or if you know what they did, there's no way I can have peace with them. And great, the Bible gives me the the, the escape hatch. It's not possible. I don't have to. I'll put them in the side category. Think back with me to elementary school and precisely the playground at elementary school. I was in third grade. And uh, I went to uh, Oakdale Elementary School. And you know what our mascot was? I'm not. You can't make this up. Our mascot uh, was the acorns. <laughs> what? I spent first grade at Fairview Elementary School, and Fairview's mascot w- uh, was the Falcons. That's cool. We moved and across uh, town, and I found myself walking to Oakdale Elementary School where they had this big acorn painted on the wall. I'm like, the acorns? Like, who sat in what meeting and came up with that? We're the acorn. I'm so bitter. Um, we're, we were called the uh, Oakdale Acorns. And so um, one day, uh, it was recess time, and I can see this this day. It was fall. I had a gray sweatshirt on, and all of us boys we uh, made a beeline right to the merry-go-round. You remember the merry-go-round? Oh, now that was a piece of playground equipment. And us boys, we tried to do one thing with a merry-go-round. We tried to see how fast we could get it spinning around and around and around. And as we got it to top speeds, we would try to jump onto the merry-go-round. It was awesome. It was kind of like pinball because, you know, you had these metal bars. And if you didn't get in between the gaps, it would knock you off. It was awesome boy fun, right? And so we beelined to the merry-go-round, and we started getting going as fast as we could. And then all of a sudden, one by one, different boys started to jump onto the merry-go-round. And some were making it, some were getting hit off. It was so much fun. And I remember that I was still running around trying to get it to go as fast as I could before I was ready to jump on. And all of a sudden, one of the boys that had made it on looked at me and screamed, Hey, Chris, you so!" What's interesting, I have no memory of what came next. I've thought about it all week. What happened? I mean, I remember the fall day. I remember the gray sweatshirt. I remember uh, you could see uh, my breath because it was, you know, it was just that crisp day where it was kind of cold outside. I remember the placement of the merry-go-round. I remember running around, and I remember his words, and I have no idea what came next. I don't know if I ignored him. I don't know if I jumped up and fucked him one. Let's make up that storyline. That's a cool one. I don't know if I walked away and cried. But I remembered those words. Becky sang this song titled Hurt. And uh, if you're not familiar with the song, it was originally written and uh, performed by, uh, it was written by Trent Reznor and performed by Nine Inch Nails. And uh, but the version I listened to this week, I'd never heard it before, was sung by Johnny Cash, right before Johnny Cash died. And Johnny Cash's life was a, a life filled with tragedy and great hope as he turned his life around, discovered who Jesus was, and it transformed him. And he sang this song right before he died. If you haven't heard his version, I'd encourage you to go, go home, download it from iTunes. Uh, but uh, the song starts off with these words. I hurt myself today to see if I still feel pain. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole, the old familiar steam. Tried to kill it all away, but I remember... Everything, I remember everything. See, we all have been hurt deeply by someone or maybe a list of someone's. And those thoughts still remain. Just like me, third grade on the playground. That comment, I still can hear So what do we do? It's one thing to say, okay, great. Live at peace with everyone. If it's all possible, as far as you can do, live at peace. But how do we live in peace? How do we live in peace when we have hurts? See, hurts go one of two directions. One of two directions. Hurts either uh, move towards healing because healing's a process, right? It either moves towards healing and then ultimately peace or hurts move to bitterness, which ultimately creates chaos relationally. Hurts just don't stay as hurts. They're going to go one of two directions. And for us to to experience peace in our relationships, we must Try to figure out how to heal our hurts. And wrapped around verse 18, when Paul said, you know what? It's all possible for you. Live in peace. He he gives us how to discover peace in relationships that have hurt us. Now, it's not going to be a simple three-step plan. If you write down these three steps and you're going to execute these three steps and all your hurts go away. It's not practical. And honestly, what Paul's going to tell us to do when it comes to hurts in our relationships, it's going to be difficult. But remember, hurt relationships, whether that hurt happened 20 years ago or yesterday, it's either moving towards healing, which ultimately is peace, or it's moving to bitterness, which is ultimately chaos, and it affects all of our relationships. Not just that one, right? So he, he, he starts actually in verse 17. He says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. We'll come back to this word repay. But it's this word evil that kind of captured my mind. I hit on it last week a little bit, but I spent all week thinking about this because I don't consider myself to be an evil person. I'm, I, I'm guessing, I think I, I could be right on this, all of you probably aren't evil people. And so I started thinking about, well, what does it mean to, like, don't repay evil for evil? I'm not evil. You're not evil. In my mind, I have an evil scale. Do you have an evil scale? I have an evil scale. And what's interesting with my mind and the evil scale that I possess is like there's two, uh, two extremes with almost no middle ground, like nothing in the middle. One extreme, you know, evil is like what, 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 what's taking place in, in Kenya, right? At that mall. I don't know if you followed it. It's, that's a picture of evil. A group of people with one goal, to walk into a mall and kill men, women, children. That was their only goal. We're going to kill people today. They woke up that morning and said, we are going to just kill people. That's That's evil. It's a depth of evil that most of us, if not all of us, could we can't even get our brains, our minds around that type of evil. That's evil. And on the other far extreme, it's almost like this fictional cartoonist image of evil. Halloween is coming up. And uh, we partner or join with some, it's downtown Halloween thing, and we're going to have thousands of people that come through the opera house for Halloween fun. And we're going to see some cute little baby with those little devil horns, a little tail, and we're going to walk up, and like, oh, they're so cute. What a cute devil, right? It's like this cartoonish image, this fictional image of evil, you know, or that, like, the devil's on one side of your shoulder or on one shoulder and the angel is on the other shoulder, and they're talking to you, right? That, that's our image, and what's in between that? I don't know. It left me literally sitting at my desk going, what, what, what would be in between those two? So I was like, well, what does the Bible say? I mean, in the entirety of the Bible, when, when the Bible uses this word evil, what does it say? This is what I discovered this week. The Bible uh, has the word evil uh, used 407 times. It's found in 387 verses. And so I, I discovered that. I'm like, okay. And so I was like, well, how am I going to discover what the Bible says? Well, I must read all 387 verses. So that's what I did this week. If you wonder what I do all week, this is what I do. So I started reading through these verses. The very first time the, the word evil is used in the Bible, it's found in Genesis chapter 2. And if you're not familiar with, with the beginning of the Bible, uh, Genesis 2 is this moment where God says to Adam and to Eve, he says, hey, you can eat from any tree or any shrub or any bush in the, in the garden, but don't eat from this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's the one that's off limits. Don't eat. That's the first time we read this word evil. And as the story goes, they eat from this tree and they sin and sin creates separation from God and they get banished from the garden. The second time we read this word evil is found in Genesis chapter six. It's right before Noah builds the ark. It's right before the flood. And this is what Genesis six says. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. Now, it took me another 385 verses to realize the significance of those words. Now I'll come back. So I started reading the other 385 verses. And I found uh, several themes. First of all, the Bible uses the word evil generically a lot, just evil. There's no specifics attached to the word evil. Second thing the Bible, uh, this theme that emerged, was to shun evil and to fear God. Those two were used a lot together. And I know we talk a lot about you know, God is a God of love, God is a God of peace, God is a God of grace, God is a God of mercy. We love talking about that side of God because that's like warm and fuzzy. We're like, yes. But to fear God, that's kind of a Debbie Downer, right? You're like, oh, should we fear God? He's loving. He's, got, he's all those things, yes. But it's powerful when you think about it. We have this disposition to turn towards evil. And really, the only thing that will force us to shun evil. Is to fear a holy and perfect God. But the third theme that emerged was many of the times, if not most, when the Bible actually described evil, like attached specifics to that word evil, this is what I found. Evil was attached to lying to threats, how we talk to each other. Evil was attached to deceit and what we say and how we say it. Evil was attached to wicked thoughts. This is one of my favorite ones. Evil was attached to harboring malice in our hearts, but outwardly talking nice to people. (laughs) None of us have ever done that, right? And never, And then Jesus amped this whole idea because that's what Jesus did. And he said that the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, which is evil. And then I go back, right? This is after 387 verses. I go back to Genesis chapter 6, the second time the word evil is used. Listen to this again. That every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil all the time. You see, this pattern in the Bible, when it comes to this word evil, is about our thoughts and our words. Our thoughts and our words. We think about evil as Kenya, and we think about evil as cartoonish, fictional characters. How many times have we spent time thinking about evil when it comes to what we think and what we say? And then I read James' words. In James chapter 3, when he wrote this, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the course of one's life on fire, and it is itself set on fire by hell. Evil. And we go back to verse 17, and he says, do not repay... Anyone, evil for evil. And what if we replace that second evil with thoughts? Do not repay evil with how you think about that person. Or what if we repaid evil with words? Do not repay evil for what you say about that person that has hurt you. Because Paul also wraps around here in verse 19, do not take revenge. Probably the most common way we all take revenge on people is we hold on to grudges, don't we? We just hold on. That person hurt me, and I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going I'm to make them pay. And how do we hold on to grudges? By what we think about that person. I mean, we all should get an Oscar for the scripts that we have written in our minds against people, shouldn't we? I mean, do you have that conversation in your mind? Next time I see that person, I'm going to walk up to them to look them in the eyes and I know exactly what I'm going to tell them because I'm going to tell them because I, I know exactly what they did against me and I, that, that hurt me and I'm going to tell them, I'm going to square them up and I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. I mean, we've perfected the scripts in our minds. And then sometimes we take that script in our mind and we bring other people into that. And so we bring someone else in and we tell that person what we're going to say to this other person that has hurt us. And we practice it out loud. Our thoughts are evil and our words are evil. And every time we harbor evil thoughts in our mind against someone who has hurt us, It's not leading towards healing that leads to peace. It's leading to bitterness, which leads to relational chaos in all of our relationships. And Paul said, hey, hey, don't repay evil for evil. And don't seek revenge. And he says, but, but, leave room for whose wrath? My wrath? No. Your wrath? No, nope. God's wrath. You see, every time we harbor a grudge, every time we have this thought process of what we're going to tell that person that's hurt us, every time we practice those words on someone else, every time we seek our own revenge, every time we repay evil for evil, We're saying to God, God, I'm sitting you on the sidelines. It's my wrath. Hey, God, don't need you. I can fill your seat. And last time I checked, there was only one person who was ever perfect. And none of our names are on that list. And God's saying, hey, I'm just, I'm perfect, I'm holy. It's my wrath, not your wrath. It's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. And then it continues on. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy, who's your enemy? I would say your enemy is anyone who's on that list that has hurt you that you're harboring thoughts about, that you're speaking against, that's your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing so, this will keep burning coals on his head. This whole thought of heaping burning coals was actually a, a Proverbs. You can find it in Proverbs chapter 25. But also, this idea was found in ancient Egyptian literature And the whole context was to have this dynamic change of mind by deeply loving someone. Think about this. That in a situation where someone has hurt you, you so deeply love them that it helps change how they think and how they process and how they interact with you. Because love is an action, it's not a feeling, an emotion that comes and goes, it's a commitment. And that's why Paul says, hey, if they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. You know what he's implying there? You have to be in close proximity with your enemies, with those people that have hurt you to even know what their needs are, right? You have to be in communication with them. You have to be around them to go, oh, this is their need. To be able to heap burning coals on their, their head, to deeply love them with action, to hopefully maybe change the relationship, you have to be in proximity. And then he ends by saying, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. <laughs> See, he ends in uh, verse 18 last week by saying, if it's up to you, as far as you know, it's possible for us to create peace, right? it all comes back you know, to us individually. What are we going to do to create, create peace? And he lands at the same place. Hey, it's up to you. It's up to me. You're either going to be overcome by evil or you're going to overcome evil with good. What are you going to do? You're either going to take that hurt and head it towards a process of healing, which ultimately will create peace in all of your relationships. Or you're going to take that hurt and you're going to hold on to that grudge and you're going to seek revenge. And you're going to repay evil with evil thoughts and evil words. And it's going to lead to bitterness. It's going to lead to chaos for your relationships. Early last year, beginning of the school year, my youngest was a first grader. And uh, we found written in a notebook a letter that she had written. She didn't actually tear it out and give it, uh, give it but we found it written. My wife brought it to me. She goes, look what Claire wrote. I, I blurred, uh, it says dear, and I blurred the names out to protect the first graders involved. I'm kind like that. But this is what she wrote. Dear, and you can fill in names. I thought you were my friends, but you aren't. You don't like me for the way I am. I'm sorry, from Claire. parent you want to protect your kids but also as a parent you want to guide them because they're going to interact with an evil world and we found ourselves sitting beside Claire and helping her hey Claire what are you saying that maybe has created friction with some of your friends and we sat down with Claire and said Claire you know God's forgiven you. You need to forgive them for what they have done to you. And we had this amazing conversation because guess what? The first grader hurts either lead to healing, which leads to peace, or hurts lead to bitterness, which leads to chaos. All of you on your seat have a name tag. And uh, this is what I asked you to do. Take about 60 seconds and uh, there's a name of someone that has hurt you deeply or maybe names of people that have hurt you deeply. And in this 60 seconds, I just want you to write down that name or, or maybe several names of people that hurt, I mean, it, they hurt still that real. Maybe it's started towards healing or maybe it's headed towards bitterness or maybe it's just bitterness now. And then I'm going to come back and uh, share a couple quick thoughts. And this is going to tie into next week as well. But whose names should be on this? So take the 60 seconds right now. This week, you know, as you look at those names, and maybe a new name will emerge onto that list as well. A couple things I want to challenge you with. Because ultimately, the first step towards healing is forgiveness. It's just the first step. And for us to have the ability to forgive someone, we first have to embrace God's forgiveness in our lives. You see, forgiven people forgive people. And maybe the first step you need to do before you even get to that list of names, you need to realize the depth of God's forgiveness that he has extended to you. You see, right after, in Genesis 6, where he talked about that every inclination of the human heart, every thought of the human heart was evil, just two verses later, it says that God found favor with Noah those two words, found favor, is translated grace. First time in the Bible, grace is used. That God extended his grace over Noah and his family. It's who God is. And for us to have the ability to forgive people, it starts with our, our understanding of God's forgiveness that he's laid upon us. So embrace God's forgiveness and then extend forgiveness. In Colossians chapter three, it says, bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you have a grievance against someone and forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, we have the capacity to forgive people when we realize the depth of God's forgiveness in our lives. And then to overcome, to overcome. It's another choice. Just like, just like peace in your relationships, what are you going to do? The question is, are you going to be overcome with evil, your thoughts and your words, or are you going to overcome evil with good? It's a question. It's up to you. It's up to me. In Philippians chapter 4, there's actually a great business leadership book called The 4-8 Principle, and if you've never read it, it's an amazing uh, corporate kind of business leadership uh, book. And, uh, but the author actually took it right from Philippians chapter 4-8, and it's one of my favorite verses, and uh, it says this, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. So maybe this week, as you make your way through your life, and all of a sudden, one of those names attached to one of those people who have hurt you pops into your mind, and you start into your Oscar-winning script. My challenge for you in that precise moment start praying for that person by name because when you invite god into that space into your thought life and you start praying for that person it's how you start to overcome evil with good because god is good and evil and god can't occupy the same space so this week I know your script is good, not as good as mine. Mine's really good. Invite God into that space and see what happens to your thought life and then see what happens with the words you speak. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for our time together today. And I know attached to every one of those name tags, there's a lot of hurt. Hurt from 20, 30, 40 years ago and hurt from yesterday. Thoughts that are attached to every one of those hurts every thought is vivid and clear and still has the sting. So I pray. I pray this week as we navigate through our life that as those thoughts come into your mind, that Lord, will just simply start praying, inviting you into that space so we can start the process of overcoming evil with good, so we can start the process of moving hurts towards healing, towards peace, which in turn will affect all of our relationships. In your name I pray, amen. God bless. Have an amazing week.